Hello, this is the Kind Mind Podcast. Thank you for making time to listen today. Welcome to the episode on adventure. At the end of last year, when Spotify publishes its insights about our listening habits for the show, it said that listeners' personality was the adventurer. And uh, I, I think that's true. Anyone who's made their way here, it's usually because you're open-minded, open-hearted. You'd like to uh, experiment with new ideas and go beyond the limits of your comfort zones. So I admire you for that. Spotify said your listeners venture out into the unknown, searching for fresher podcasts and gems yet to be found. Today, we often associate adventure with planned activities or deliberate pursuits, as is the case with vacations and travel itineraries or calculated business ventures with the risks and goals clearly defined. However, the prefix AD in the word adventure means towards, and therefore it indicates that in the true spirit of adventure, the unknown is not just a hurdle or a means to an end, but the end itself. In other words, the adventurous life is one that journeys beyond what's familiar and towards surrender and acceptance of this divine mystery that we find ourselves in. So in this episode, we explore various perspectives on this concept and how it's been associated with rites of passage, renouncing or risking self-interest, and the quest for harmony with the natural world. I chose this recording to come back to and publish next because the other day I was stepping out to get in my car and go to work, and as I gently pulled the door closed behind me, I realized that I'd left the keys inside. Keys to my car, keys to the house. Sure enough, the door was locked. I couldn't get in. Didn't have spare. No one else was home. Called somebody else. It would have been really inconvenient for them to come back and help. And then I could feel the reflexive frustration in my mind and in my body. And I took a breath and I just paused for a moment. I realized something, the same kind of thing that you feel when you misplace your phone or you left your phone at home and have to go back, that attachment or that desire for routine and control. So I just leaned into the experience. My day was just going to be a little bit different, but it would be an adventure. The difference between an ordeal and adventure oftentimes is simply with our attitude. I got into an Uber, I texted people at work, letting them know I will be there, but I don't know when. And they were really gracious and supported me and and helped where they could. When lunchtime came, I didn't have a vehicle, I didn't bring anything with me. I walked instead. I did end up finding some food on my walk, but I got exercise and sunshine that I normally wouldn't get during my work hours. And then a coworker offered to give me a ride back home, but I still wouldn't be able to get in until later in the evening. So we listened to a podcast from Hidden Brain called The Premonition, which was about prophetic dreams. She was kind enough to hang out for a little bit at an ice cream shop on the river so we got to chat a little more and catch up a little more. And that was that was my day. But I remember this day, and I'll probably always remember this day, whereas I can forget so many other days that just sort of blend into the routine. For me, that day demonstrates how met expectations and getting what you want for too long or plans not being interrupted can often make life boring and unmemorable. And so that inspired me to come back and listen to this recording, which was from a talk at Speakeasy, which is the online spiritual community that I converse with once a month on the third Sunday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Central Time. Everyone's welcome. Anyone can join us. You can find the, the links and the info on my website, michaeltodfink.com. 
And at that time, I was out in California because, as some of you know, my mother was having health issues and was hospitalized. So I was actually on an adventure. I had to travel unexpectedly and sit with uncertainty and the scare of the unknown and the thought that this could be more serious. But fortunately, she pulled through, she got better, and she's still doing better every day. So I'm super grateful for that and for everyone's support. And on the way back in New Mexico, my brother and I saw um, a UAP, or as they call it now, I would still say a UFO, in the night sky over Pecos Wilderness, east of Santa Fe. And at first, I thought it was a fixed light perhaps on a mountain, maybe a tower, because the light that I could see wasn't moving. After about a half hour, it was in the exact same position in the sky. So I was telling my brother, I'm like, that can't be a plane or a flying object because it hasn't moved. And he said, but look at it. It looks like a craft. It really wasn't that far away. And he said, there's no mountain there. He knows the area really well. Then it dawned on me that I had a small medium range telescope inside upstairs so I thought let me let me go get the scope and uh, and get a better look when I came back outside and started to open it up and line it up soon as I did the light changed to a different color and then flew out of the sky at blazing speed till it vanished so I don't know what to say about what I saw although you know I know that the subject of UFOs is trending. But what's funny about that experience for me and my brother earlier this year is just how the technology has made our communication landscape. Prior to 100 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, to see something like that, it's pretty straightforward. You don't have to wonder, is this the military? Is it government? Is it a satellite? Is it a plane? Is it from our country? Is it from a different country? You just know that this is extraterrestrial. We don't have any way to travel through the sky as human beings. So now we don't know what things are. I didn't see the movie Oppenheimer, but I'd imagine that there are a lot more things in the military, a lot more technologies that are completely covert, like the atomic bomb. And had we not used the atomic bomb in World War II twice, and, um, and, and had they not been tested so much, sadly close to, I don't know, something like hundreds of thousands of people within a 150-mile radius, but we might not have known that that technology actually existed, some unfathomable weapon. So I highly doubt that they just stopped there with manipulating atomic structures to achieve various ends. So that being said, I have no idea if what I saw was something from this earth or or something beyond, and so I'm still curious. And in this episode, I talk about two currents that have flowed through my life, my spiritual quest and the art life as a musician. And how adventure is not always easy, and it does come with danger and risk. I talked about some of the hardships as a starving artist. I forgot about the time when we played a show in Albuquerque, and it was raining as we were loading up the gear, and my brother had his foot slide into a crack on a platform, and then fell over and badly fractured his leg. But, of course, he didn't want to skip any shows because the numbers just didn't add up. The money for fuel, the money for food for everybody, and so on. And he knew that uh, there was just too much riding on the tour. And so he just grabbed a cane and kept going. And, and also, didn't we didn't have health insurance at that time. So, yeah, a lot of things I look back on with adventure. And so sometimes it's nice to just simply 
be able to have this state of mind without needing to get all the lessons through that level of risk. The other day, a patient was asking me about his purpose. And does he really have to have a purpose? Because it it creates a lot of anxiety for him. He's, He's young. And I was saying, you know, I see what you mean. This idea is, a, is another example of how our norms and pressures create barriers to adventure. Purpose is a mental construct. Yes, uh, a career may be an effective path to success in this world, or even authentic expression of one's core values, but that we must race to define and confine ourselves to escape some bottomless pit of unidentification by falling into a proverbial crack in the social concrete, that can all be maddening. I saw a meme, we could have just been making art and eating fruit. Instead, we have credit scores and taxes. What is God's one purpose? To create? But he destroys. So is it to destroy? But she sustains. So why can't we be free to continuously reinvent ourselves or uninvent ourselves? Adventure is a state of mind. It's a question of whether externally or internally we are allowed to tune in and engage deeply with and even enjoy the truth of the unpredictability of our life and the fragility of our bodies and the law of impermanence that underlies every human project. Henry Miller, the American author, said something like, if you just really pay attention to even a blade of grass, it becomes a magnificent world and mystery. So it's ultimately more of an inward than outward issue. Thinking further on the obstacles to adventure, to this state of mind, people don't give themselves permission to live magical lives. Because there's authority over every dimension of existence. So people are socialized into deferring to that authority and not thinking for oneself. And even when it appears that someone is thinking for themselves, it usually manifests as an argument or a culture clash, which is you know, two sides obediently defending one version of authority over another. Life also gets so artificial, superficial, and that's not an insult to individuals. We all have few choices oftentimes. I mean, think of a parent or a single parent or with inflation and rent and interest rates and so on. It's an indictment of the system. How do I know? Well, if you didn't need money, would your days and weeks look exactly the same? mostly the same, or not at all. Money is a social construct. It's an agreement and convention that ought to be ever improving everyone's lives in order to keep renewing the contract. Otherwise, we renegotiate. Yes, without it, we would still need to survive, and our ancient predecessors had to contend with their own challenges, and maybe they they definitely died younger, But warding off death is not synonymous with quality of life. But there was an adventure, right, built into that. Probably very few strict routines for hunter-gatherers and ancient peoples, as sustenance was an adaptive dialogue with the environment. Even our discipline of time is a forced idea onto nature. There was no 9 a.m. you must do this, 5 p.m. you must do this. There was no 5 p.m. There was a sunrise and sunset, but that wasn't fixed. The sun itself was the clock, and the moon was the calendar. Whereas now we must gaze down, the ancients had to keep looking up. What did they see? What did they spontaneously witness and experience and encounter? What were they shocked by, awed by? Synchronicity, the incidental and coincidental. What did they have time to think about without marketing and propaganda and weaponized addiction? And therefore, what could they intuit and marvel and realize? I think it's obtuse, disconnected across 
the technological divide, but ultimately just naive to think that all they were concerned about was survival. We only think about survival. And you need time to contemplate things, even when we notice a synchronicity or a chance encounter with someone truly interesting to you. We can't honor it because we have to run to something else. Historically, in Chinese culture, the chance encounter was given priority over the appointment, probably because of the influence of Zen and Taoism and the concepts of the Tao and spontaneity. But we are more rigid in this capitalism and the treadmill of an inflationary economy, this modus operandi, from a broad perspective, this planet must look insane, robotic, mechanistic, even devoid of higher intelligence disguised as technological progress that really accelerates inequality and more efficiently moves us backwards with respect to our relationship with the earth. How different are all these programs and patterns really from ant colonies, from the vantage point of an interstellar adventurer, from the space explorer or the cosmonaut? Anyways, I'll stop my rant there. So I hope you find something meaningful in this show. And if you do find Kind Mind valuable and you'd like to support You can do that on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, access some bonus content, attend our next gathering, which will be Wednesday, August 30th at 7 p.m. The theme is the prismatic range of admiration. And now, adventure begins where plans end. Thank you, Maureen. Happy birthday, Maureen. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Adriana. Thanks, Regina, Brenda, Joni. Olive, thank you for the beautiful offering. And St. Francis is probably my favorite saint. When I was growing up in the church, Francis was my confirmation name. He epitomizes adventure in the sense that There was a a clear path before him of uh, convention and affluence and turning away from that for the unknown in pursuit of kindness and harmony. So it's just another example of the magic of synchronicity here at Speakeasy. Uh, I'm so grateful to be able to share with you each month. When Maureen connected kindness and adventure for me, gave me so much, so many wonderful things to reflect on. I've had the, the great blessing of approaching a life of adventure in two like opposite ways and kind of arrived at the same place. So as an artist touring around the country and the world, it's completely unpredictable, unconventional, a non-conforming life. And then the other experience I had in pursuit of adventure, I suppose, or an adventurous spiritual journey was in India um, in 2005 to 2006, living uh, with a monastic order. And they're opposite in the sense that one is very structured and disciplined in the ashram. Every single day is the same, whether it's a weekday or a weekend, you get up at a quarter to 4 a.m. every single day, no matter what same place, same timing, same schedule. And yet, I like to say that meditation and monasticism is like a small marina with just the essential supplies for one to take an adventure into the soul. That's why the appearance is simple and disciplined and structured so that it doesn't distract anybody from that exploration of one's being. Now, when I contrast that to life on the road, you would think they would lead to very different places. But in fact, uh, I found myself arriving in the same sort of 
place of self-discovery because of some of the common risk involved. Both include physical strain. Monastic practices such as getting up at 3.30 or bathing with cold water even in the winter because historically there, there wasn't many amenities. And when I was in India, you'd pump some water and put it in a bucket and just dump it on you. Of course, in touring and in music, there are pressures that are just not the same as when I'm like working at the hospital and have like a, an order, ordinary nine to five work experience during the day. If I don't feel well or I have to attend to family matters like I've had to this month, I can just do that. But there were times in concert where you don't feel good, you're sick, or there's a wedding or there's a funeral, but all these people have been waiting for you to arrive in their city or hundreds of people bought tickets and there are all these people you're accountable to, your, your agent, your manager, the promoter, the venue owner, the fans. And so, so many times myself or others would be sick or have other things going on and would just have to embrace that strain. There, there was a time where I laryngitis so bad, I couldn't speak before the show. But somehow once on stage and the adrenaline's flowing, I could dig somewhere inside myself and produce sound again. One time we had a concert in Greece that we were leaving only like one night before uh, the show because of other concerts. And only hours before the flight, my, my brother was very ill. He was vomiting and and he you know, refused to, to cancel it because there was just too many things in place. 10 flights and once in several year event on the island of Rhodes. And so we just strained through it. But this is also similar in monastic life. You don't always have access to the comforts and luxuries and sitting in meditation for long hours can produce lots of pain. Both have psychological challenges. In meditation or in the monastic life, you really have to face your dark side, your shadow self. You have to be willing to encounter uncomfortable emotions. There's isolation, even though you, in music, I was always traveling with a band and performing with other people. It's not like it's a purely social experience. You're, you're kind of there to do a job. Sometimes you feel like a team of mercenaries traveling long distances, showing up just to perform a service, and then you have to leave and travel many hours again. And not actually having time to relax or socialize in a more fun way, uh, even though you're in a fun environment, can sometimes be isolating or just spending lots of time sleeping on, on the bus or in hotel rooms can be lonely as well. Financial instability. To me, especially when you're just getting started, being an artist is totally vulnerable financially. At any moment, there could be an unexpected expense, like trouble with the vehicle, an instrument could become damaged. Our instruments are very expensive. The gear is very expensive. The gear could malfunction and it could cost who knows what to repair. And that's of course true in, in monastic life. The monks are relying on the donations of the community and the support from the community. And then there's institutional challenges in the adventure of these two pursuits. Institutional challenges in monastic life means you have to work with and coordinate and adapt to the rules, the structure. Some dogmas could arrive and you have to be able to collaborate with the other people in the environment. Similarly, there are institutional challenges in art. You have the diametrically opposed motives of creativity and commerciality. That's often a, a tug of war for anyone who's really trying to express themselves authentically and not just use art as a means to some financial end. So overall, those two directions in my life have involved the same kind of risk, which is a core aspect of adventure, but 
both led me to a place of self-discovery. Something that Helen Keller expressed, that life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. And when I reflect on spiritual growth, for most of us, we're kind of somewhere in between those two examples that I get, gave, or almost two extremes. Most people aren't going to pursue a monastic course to their enlightenment. And a lot of people probably won't find themselves sleeping in a different place every single night for years, like uh, was the case in the art life. But I want to send a message today that finding yourself somewhere in between doesn't mean that life has to be all conforming. We can think of whatever so-called security we have in our life with, with a career, with a, a family, with a home, with a, a partner as our own monastic setting, so to speak, for people who want spiritual growth. I find it ironic that the English word forever is so common in our vernacular, and yet it has no practical application to our corporeal existence. Nothing is forever, but we use that word to talk about our forever home or our forever love or forever dream job. And in the end, it comes very quickly in contrast to the lifespan of the earth or the age of the universe. And so whatever it is that we build, it's still um, a castle in the sand. So whatever stability we can enjoy, it's still temporary, it's still vulnerable, and it's still ephemeral. So whatever kind of uh, seeming security you can enjoy, let that simply be the foundation for the exploration of your mind and soul and discipline of your life. Try not to think that the security and the stability is the goal or the end, but, but, it, but is a means to the end of embracing our mortality, embracing the uncertainty, embracing all the risk that comes with being alive. This word adventure has um, a unique etymology. The immediate English word is borrowed from French, Aventure, which is highly associated with fortune. Fortune and venture share its roots. And we might think of fortune as wealth and success. But if there's a such word as misfortune, then that must mean that fortune isn't necessarily good or bad. There could be good fortune or good luck, and there could be misfortune or, or bad luck. So the root of fortune or venture is veneer. In Spanish, this is to come or to arrive. So fortune is literally that which is about to happen, that which is coming. And we never know what is just around the corner, not physically, nor emotionally, nor mentally. Nobody really even knows the very next thing they're going to think. Life is that mysterious. And yet, you know, we do everything we can to create a sense of predictability, but life is ultimately unpredictable. In the Middle Ages, the word adventure was used to describe uh, a perilous undertaking, like traveling across the ocean, sailing to places unknown and having distant encounters with new people and new creatures, new, new animals. By the 16th century, the word had taken a broader meaning um, and was applied to anything exciting or unusual. And now today, I think we use the word adventure to refer to something we're totally going to plan out, like a calculated risk with a business venture or a vacation with an itinerary and an explicit amount of time that will be away. But I'd like to invite us to circle back to its origin of chance, fortune, and the unknown. This prefix AD in Latin means towards. 
So we could think of adventure as moving towards the acceptance of uncertainty, of the unknown. In the 20th century, there was a French sailor who exemplified a life dedicated to adventure. He was born in 1925 in Vietnam, in Saigon, and quickly got fascinated with water and the surrounding sea and started building boats or saving to, to purchase beat up used boats and repair them. And uh, when he was in his late teens and young adulthood, he started exploring the South Pacific and eventually the Indian Ocean. He returned to France and met his wife, Francois, and together they sailed around the world and to Tahiti where they stayed for extended amounts of time. And Bernard Montessier, the sailor, became a legend in 1968 and 69 when he participated in the Sunday Times Golden Globe contest, which was a solo unassisted race around the world. And uh, Montessier was so much more expert in navigating the ocean that he was about a month ahead of all the other competitors on his way back to Britain. But as he was starting to round Cape Horn and have a direct shot across the Atlantic, he suddenly decided that he didn't want to return. And so he made the unconventional decision to circumnavigate the globe a second time instead of claiming his prize, which was thousands of dollars. So somebody else won that race and it divided people who were paying attention, who were following and split people between those who thought he was a totally foolish and other people who became totally inspired by his freedom. He passed another boat in the Atlantic and wrote a message and put it into a slingshot and shot it into the other boat who uh, delivered it to the fans in England that the sea had saved my soul before and uh, he wasn't ready to abandon it. Montessier has a very famous quote about the ocean. I'm a citizen of the most beautiful nation on earth. A nation whose laws are harsh yet simple. A nation that never cheats, which is immense and without borders, where life is lived in the present. In this limitless nation, this nation of wind, light, and peace, there is no other ruler besides the sea. He was also a very kind person and um, wrote a book called The Long Way. And it's not just about the adventures of sailing, but his appreciation of, of nature. In uh, Navajo tradition and other indigenous cultures, the concept of adventure was like a rite of passage into beauty and harmony with the earth. The separation or the vulnerability or the quest to receive one's vision was simply to be able to undertake a path towards revelation of one's unity with the earth. When it comes to kindness, there are ways that growing our spirit, growing ourselves psychologically is an adventure. Firstly, to become kind requires that you expand your consciousness because to care for others, to be compassionate, to be concerned, you have to deviate from self-interest. This is where like the monastic life or the adventure life in Watessier's case, in the limitless uh, nation of the sea, you have to pay attention to what's coming next. And that's where the opportunities for service, for care, arrive. But if we're only focused on our own needs, then we miss what, what arises in our front. 
Kindness involves stepping outside of our norm and connecting on a deeper level and then extending our resources or our comforts, our security or our privilege and leveraging that to uplift or bring balance to. In, in Navajo, uh, there's a concept of balance and beauty. Um, secondly is embracing vulnerability. It's vulnerable and uncertain to be kind. We don't know how it will be received, if it will be reciprocated, if it will leave us uh, at risk or depleted, if we give of ourself. It's one thing to give of our excess. It's one thing to give to someone who needs it. It's another thing to give to someone when we need it more. In many cases, that is like the true spirit of abundance. I may give away what I myself could use, but I trust that because the, the earth is plentiful or that I have the universe or God as a cosmic parent, that I will be supplied again with what I need. Third, embracing the journey. I said that in Latin, ad ventura meant towards the unknown or towards the, the risk, not just taking a risk to get to some good luck. But in kindness, similarly, you have to just embrace the journey. It's not like I could be kind today, could give money or donate today, and then I'm done. And then I've crossed it off my list. Kindness is never ending. Adventure is never ending. It's because it's not about a destination. It's an ongoing process. It requires us to be present in each moment, to be attuned to the, the needs of others, what, what's unfolding around us, and to navigate the complexities of all our human interactions and to keep learning from them, to approach life with curiosity, wonder, and a willingness to engage with the ever-changing landscape of relationships and experiences. So now we get to have a conversation with Todd Fink. If you have a question that you want to add or a comment or a thought, this is where you just raise your virtual hand and we'll bring you on up and we can um, go a little bit deeper. But I just wanted to kick it off by saying, you know, Todd, it's so interesting that this idea of adventure requires us to come empty to what is, you know, like when you say, like arrive, you're saying arrive to what is and not know like what it holds because we don't know what it holds. And that Olive sang that song, like, make me a channel, which basically is like, I, my thought, I'm gonna dismiss my thoughts. I'm gonna dismiss my maps. I'm gonna dismiss my agendas and attempt to just be in this present moment and listen to the adventure at hand. And that's a skill that assists whether you're in the monastic life or the musician life that you, you have to sort of come empty so that you can actually engage with the adventure at hand. And that's, not, I think, not just something kind that you do for the world, but something kind that I do for myself. Because when I come with all my maps and charts and my agendas and my desires, I come confused and scattered. It's not an easy thing to do, but I just thought I would see if you had anything to add about that. The first song the giving tree band released mm -hmm. in 2007 it's called one life at a time and the opening lines written by our bandmate bob salahar at the time goes something like this well you lost your calculations and you lost your math all your makeup and your history came off in the bath <laughs> you threw away your compass, you threw away your map. Now do you need a guide to go traveling in these lands? Mm. So yeah, uh, maps, GPS, smartphones, mm -hmm. they are useful and necessary and part of the evolution of society. But in a day-to-day -day experience, we become too addicted to what is available in the devices mm -hmm. and um, it's kind of ironic that the phone before it is activated and illuminated it's um, like a dark void a dark void and it makes us look down whereas 
the sky, to see the sky, to feel connected to the earth and the cosmos, you have to look up. And um, I, th I see this as a metaphor for our neglect of the earth and the environment, that the phone is like a black hole that sucks our energy and attention into it. And we don't look up enough, so we don't actually even, I'm saying we meaning the, the society, uh, but myself included. And we fail to see what's happening in the environment or in the sky or even what's changing with the climate just because I don't think people look up enough. I've noticed this in the Southwest a lot over the last 20 years, how the sky is changing. There used to be 350 days of sunlight throughout New Mexico, Arizona and Southern California. And now it's like, it's it's so strange to see so many so much moisture in, in places even like phoenix so anyways yes coming back to adventure it might mean that we have to get away from it all once in a while if not to a natural environment or more natural space just to a private place where we can um, open ourselves up to the to the messages and the intuitions of the spirit. So yeah. Thank you. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I look at, yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. But also, Adriana, thank you so much for that beautiful um, meditation and prayer. And do you have a question or a thought? I do. Um, I was so excited about this concept of adventure and that adventure does not necessarily have to be you physically moving your feet. There's the Lao quote of the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And sometimes that journey can be within your own city. It can be within your own mind. And Todd ended with engaging with our ever-changing reflections. And so Maureen had a beautiful um, encapsulation of that in that Todd oscillates between Todd the monastic and Todd the musician. And then I can bring that even back to myself. I work in advertising. I have the life of Adriana the advertiser or Adriana the traveler. I was lucky um, to travel for a little over the year um, with my husband. Um, we traveled through 52 countries together and the return to Adriana the advertiser was not possible, not in the way that it was before. And so in that, there was a poem that I'll share with all of you that I took from a woman from Greece that's about the Odyssey and Odysseus traveling uh, to faraway lands like Phoenicia and, and bringing perfumes home with him um, or uh, hoping that he would not come into contact with the Cyclops. Mm -hmm. And it says in that poem, as long as the Cyclops is not in his heart, he won't find it. And so maintaining our inner peace so that we don't see the monsters and that we can maintain who we are and our, our true inner selves. And more than anything, um, I want to leave you with uh, a little quote uh, that I say to my husband all the time is, this is your life. Show up for it. Mm. Yes. Yeah, that's so beautiful. The idea that whether you adventure out into the world or into the depths of your being, and we can do both, we're multidimensional, right? We're not the roles that we take on, we're not the titles, we're not a status, we're beyond all of that. So we play those parts in the adventure, but whether you go outward, I love that idea that whatever you gather, you redistribute, you bring back gifts. Uh, or perfume like Odysseus when you go into your soul in meditation you bring back your inner peace and that it's not just for ourselves. that peace is the is it is another perfume it's the the fragrance of our presence the fragrance of being able to be wholly present with our loved ones and to come back and feel like that's not just for me, that's um, for me to, to redistribute as well. Mm, it's really good stuff. You know, when you were talking about um, the life on, on the road compared to the life in the spiritual community, 
It's so it's just very interesting because I remember it reminded me of a time when I was on a set and we were down in San Diego for a couple of weeks shooting a movie and I was by myself. And I didn't really know anybody on the set because you like come into this new family and it's like you don't know anybody. And I was so depressed. <laughs> so depressed. Like here I was like living my dream of being in a, a, a movie with Brian Dennehy and this concept was kind of depressing, but it wasn't that. It was like, it's hard to find home in a hotel room. And it feels right. like you're sort of on hold from real life. You just feel like you're in this like segregated area. And there's something that my soul does not like about that. And so even when you say like, you have to sometimes make the opportunity to leave ordinary and go to isolation by choice, it's definitely what I need to hear because I'm I'm attempting to do that this week of going away for a week by myself. And I I want to tell you, I'm so brave, but I do not care for it at all. <laughs> like I do not, I do not want to do that. And so yet I know that there that there is that place that I will find something about myself and I will face those illusions. I wonder how you can do that if you can't go away for uh, like how what are the practices that you I know meditation, but are there other ways? Uh, there was one other line that I wanted to share with you because this is what was speaking to me when Adrienne was sharing was from the poem that we shared last week of um, the imitation. The last line is, I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you truly like the company you keep in the empty moments. And that's it for me. Like that's a true adventure. I'll pass. Well, you know, sort of like Adriana shared from Lao Tzu, there's a 20th century Indian sage named Sri Nisargadatta, and he once said something like, instead of going out and seeking that which you don't have, find out what it is that you've never lost. Mm. And if that was um, a motive, for our adventure, whether we step outside our house or not, it could orient us to self-discovery. What am I really? I mean, I might be a parent, but I wasn't always a parent, or I might be a worker, but I wasn't always a worker. So that can't be that which I've never lost. Anyways, when you delve into the mind and, and try to navigate the being, our inner being, you do have to ride the waves of emotion. So I think of it as another kind of excursion. Simply put in meditation, when we close our eyes and start to pay attention to the present moment within our body, we can just notice what's going on with our breath. And you could think of the breath as the ocean. In um, Sanskrit, one word for breath is vana, uh, like nirvana. So nirvana meant no breath. Enlightenment or the state of samadhi in Buddhism or yoga is when one is so peaceful, so still, and their consciousness is so expanded that it said that the breath and pulse actually stop. That's nirvikalpa samadhi, at least as described in those spiritual traditions. But vana also means wave. So nirvana uh, means the cessation of thoughts. Thoughts are described in yoga as waves. Yoga's chitta vruti nirodaha meant that yoga is the cessation of thought. So anyways, whenever we turn towards our mind and our inner being, you will have to navigate the ocean of the breath and the sea of uh, emotion. Yeah. And just by riding that, it actually starts to cooperate with you. Just paying attention to our breath and breathing deeply starts to bring a rhythm to the ocean of our expansion and contraction in our being. When you start to fall in love with that, I feel like then we become an adventurer of the soul. Like the poem uh, Invictus, I'm the captain of my soul. And it all begins by just paying attention to our breath, falling in love with, with each breath. Spiritus is breath, so the foundation of spirituality could be loving the, the waves of our breathing. So helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that answer. 
Hi, Lindsay. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I was just wanting to reflect on what um, Adriana was saying about uh, maintaining our true inner self when we are on an adventure of struggle and uncertainty that I was imagining this, this maintaining of our true inner self is like a compass. And I noticed that my own inner compass will recalibrate as I grow and change throughout these struggles. And then as, as Todd um, continued to add to the conversation, um, this navigating of our inner being is accessed through the breath. And so I just found that through my own experience of the struggle adventure was how did I maintain that sense of um, inner self and that compass? Well, I accessed it by coming back to my breath in certain moments because otherwise I felt like I was never going to get grounded again or find like my safe path. And anyway, I'm, I'm toggling a little bit, but I think I just really wanted to show appreciation for what Adriana and Todd were saying. You know, it makes me think about what uh, what he suggested, which was like, find what you never lost. Even though everything fell away, I still had my breath. <laughs> I mean, like, that's it. The only thing I can be sure about is that I'm going to have my breath. And it might be like the last bastion for me to hold on to. But if I hold to that, it will it will see me through everything else. <laughs> and that's we come here, you know. Uh, as people who have lost and loved and lost a lot. So, and, and yet nothing real can be threatened. And that's our connection. So, yeah. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for showing up. Thank you. Christy. Hi, Maureen. It's good to see you. Um, thank you very much, Todd. Um, I've got so much from listening to you. So um, thanks for the gifts that you give us. Um, you, I think you recommended the secret of the golden flower a few weeks ago. I believe that was you. Uh, absolutely lifted my meditation to another level. So thank you very much for that as well. Um, you know, um, I I've recently been away doing some traveling, and I've, you know, gifted me and my wife went, you know, the Matterhorn, um, Mont Blanc, the Mount Vesuvius, the Mount Scott kind of in, in environments where you just want to just just be you know, and never come back, you know. And um, I'm guessing that's what, um, even while I was there, I had that understanding I don't have to travel so far, you know, to, to get exactly what I get from being in such beautiful places because I can get that internally, you know, by just going inside. And it, in fact, it's more richer and more beautiful when I go inside, you know, which is a real gift, you know. Um, what I struggle with is that I have to come back you know, sometimes I'll come back kicking and screaming, you know, back into the world. Um, but um, it was just mentioned about gifts, you know, it was um, something mentioned about Odysseus and his trip to Venetia and bringing back um, perfume. And I, and I think that's it with me when every time I come back, like out of a meditation or come back from a trip or from a recharge or I've been recharging, it's because I've got gifts to give to the people I work with, you know, with them, you know, with the, with the the 12 step fellowship that I'm part of with the clients that I work with as a therapist, you know, with the, um, you know, with even just my neighbors, you know, just being part of the community I live in, you know, I've been in the same area for 50 years, a bit more probably, you know, um, so the gifts for them as well, you know, and, um, and I think, I actually think that is the true beauty of life, you know, to just take what I've an access internally and, you know, give it externally, you know, I don't have to go anywhere. I'd just like to treat myself to tell you the truth and go to beautiful places, you know, because I know I get that opportunity to go inside as well. Um, so it's not really a question. I'm guessing it's a bit of a statement, isn't it? But um, I do like to open my mouth and um, connect. And um, yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank you so much. Brings up a lot of inspiration, what you shared. And can we even go deeper with that? Can we... Uh, can we think of our entire physical existence as the departure and our our death transition is going home? You know, I make peace with death when I think that 
I'm not home now. Uh, that's when I get to, to truly return. I also think about being here as a place uh, like, uh, like a limbo, like Maureen was saying. I'd, I'd like you to consider that nothing is stable here, no matter what you do, no matter who you're with. You could be in the same place your entire life, but we are constantly changing. Everything is constantly changing and it only goes one direction. Your partner, if you have a partner, is different today than they were yesterday. Our bodies are different. Our minds are different. But anyways, the, with the eventual transition for from this world, I sometimes think I was never here. So what, what is there to fear? Never here means like the clothes, the, the atoms, the particles, the earth that is not mine. It, it will eventually have to go back to, uh, to where it belongs or where it needs to go next. But I'm borrowing it. I'm borrowing the particles or the soul or the spirit is borrowing all of this earth and all the possessions and everything that needs to happen to sustain the animation. What, what a release it will be when it no longer needs all of that consumption. So treat every moment as an adventure even if you're in the exact same place, even if nothing else changes. And the simplest way to do that is by asking yourself, though nothing seemingly new has come today, is there something I can shed? Is there something like you said, can I give can, in my kindness? And then it'll be different, right? So thank you. Thank you. I'm Mary. Hi, Todd. Hi, Maureen. Thanks so much for this uh, this respite. I'm, I'm at work right now, and I'm already in tears just listening to this. It's so beautiful. Mm. The other day, I was listening to uh, Michelle Obama talk about her experiences. She, she has a, an interview with Oprah, and I highly recommend it if you get a chance to watch it. And she said when she thinks about her husband she feels like he is home he is home for her and so i thought well you know what do i do as a single lady living by myself <laughs> so i i thought well i would like to cultivate the idea that when i'm with myself wherever i am i'm home and then that just juxtaposes what you just said todd about that we're never home here, um, but but maybe I can, and and I love that idea that this is not my home, that home is when I leave here, but maybe in the meantime, this could be a step at least for me, that I'm that wherever I am, I'm home. So I so I'm just bringing it up as that I thought, well, let me just cultivate this idea of wherever I, that I am home, wherever I am, whether I'm changing clothes or I'm um, on a bike ride or in the forest or living by myself. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's about beautiful, it. beautiful, Mary. Thank you. Thanks. We could think of also as attachment to anything as not being home since everything's impermanent. So if we're attached to something, you know, then we have to suffer. And when we're present, and open and curious and flexible, that's like coming home as well. You know, yeah. Coming back from planning and worrying and preparing and coming back from regretting and ruminating and um, reminiscing to the now, to the eternal now. Yes, I, I just, I just, lo I love all of that. And uh, when, when Mary was speaking, I was thinking, you know, although this is not our home, like we can be really great guests, you know, and what does a guest do? You know, like when somebody comes to my house up at the island and they're like, can I get on the paddle boards? I'm like, yes. They're like, oh, can I try this out? I'm like, yeah, I want to sit in the hammock. Awesome. So like I have this friend, Jody Murphy, who's retiring, but she calls it retirement where she's like, I'm going to try everything. She just convinced me to get a pair of tap shoes. So like, this is the adventure, even though we don't live here, even though this is a temporary experience that we're spiritual beings having a temporary experience, like, and even though we want to wear it lightly, like there's, there's like, I just want to add to the conversation. There's, there's fun to be had. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
and that you're allowing yourself to enjoy. You know, somebody was sharing with me yesterday that she got these flowers and she just like buried her face in these flowers to the point where she was like weeping. Like there's, there smell the perfume while you're here. Like check things out while you're here. You know, like it's temporary, but it's meant to be engaged with and played with, you know? Um, so I did, you know, when speaking of adventures, like being coming coming naked coming empty and allowing yourself to engage from a, a beginner mind will will help to make the adventure a bit sweeter i think and fun <laughs> um thank you maureen in the Tao Te Ching, lao tzu's describing ancient masters as profound and subtle they were as alert as a warrior in enemy territory but as courteous as a guest, like you said, we can be good guests. When I was studying abroad, my junior year of college, I left school for about a month. We had a long spring break and I had a, a, a Euro pass. I just uh, left after class on a Thursday with no plan of how I would get anywhere. I just went to the port, got on a boat, went to, from Dublin to, uh, Wales, uh, then found an overnight bus, took that to London, and then took uh, a, a boat to France, took a train to Paris. There was one one train heading out to uh, Germany that night, and I got on it because I had some friends from, from school going to Munich, but I had no exact plans to meet them. And then I took a train from Switzerland to Munich in the morning. And, um, and then took a taxi to the airport, the airport that I believed they would be flying in. We didn't have cell phones at the time. This was over 20 years ago. And when I got to the airport, the taxi driver was like, well, do you know what airline your friends are flying in on? I said, no, but let's go to KLM because if I know my friends, they probably stopped in Amsterdam. <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> I ran into the, uh, rushed into the airport, I actually ran into my college uh, roommate from back from back home. He was walking out lo looking the other way and I was looking for him the other way and we ran into each other and he dropped his bag and then we spent uh, a week together. And uh, and then I went on to uh, to Spain and Italy and other places. But this story reminds me of of the way we are in the world. Um, yeah, we have homes and families and stuff, but but still I feel like life is like my backpack packing adventure in Europe. You meet some people, you decide to stay with them for some time, but ultimately we're all backpackers in this foreign land and we spend more or less time with certain people just like I did on, on my adventures across Europe. And, you know, all of those encounters are meaningful. Some, you know, are, are longer, like some are for a season, some are for a lifetime, all, the, all that stuff. And, um, and it's all an adventure and it's all beautiful. It is beautiful. I love that story. It just reminds me that, like, there is a plan at hand. Go with the flow, you know, trust your gut, your internal compass. Seems crazy, especially since we have really, like, gotten everything down to the hair of planning. You know what I mean? Like this, we're going to be at this time at this time. And it's like to remember that there's this other plan is and, and, and to witness it and to allow it is that, that that's another form of detachment, I would say. Yeah. So Dove's here. Hey, Dove. Yeah. Hi. Thank you so much. I want to thank Todd for his storytelling. It's, 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 it's like, you never know what you're going to get just exactly as you were talking about fortune. I like that story, that, that Francois story. I, I think that's his name, the, the sailor who circumnavigated. Of course, I never expected that ending, of course, <laughs> which is why it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> it uh, reminds me of a story I heard just yesterday. Somebody was talking about Gen Z and how they have decided they don't have to go to work every single day to the office. They, you know, if they want, they can stay home or they can go to the office. So the question was, are these people bonkers or are they brilliant? That was the question. Are they brilliant? 
And and Gen Z says, look, uh, look, life is that kind of a thing. Uh, if you're gonna live under somebody else's rules, sooner or later, you know, you always wind up the same way. That they're gonna let you go anyway because they found somebody better. Or they're using AI instead of you. So why not live life according to my own terms? So uh, yeah, that is story of you know, of course, my ego says, hey. Go back to London and get the money. Of course, I said. Wait a minute. No, that's the ego's idea of doing anything. And so, so thanks for that story. You're welcome. Yeah, Bernard Moitessier. Okay. And uh, and one of his beautiful books is The Long Way. It's good to hear those stories because sometimes our soul pulls us in like this counterintuitive direction, and it's good to remember. We could take another lap. We don't. Winning might not be getting the money. It might be something different. I love that. We can take another lap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah winning you. isn't everything. Right. Right. The journey, the destination, isn't、uh, always the destination、yeah. that we think it is. My friend, o-、um, my friend Rich Ocean says, like once you climb up to the top of the mountain, you look out and you see, oh, there's other mountains. <laughs> like, no, so winning. Is only winning in that moment. It's a moment of perceived, you know, arrival. But you know, there, our lives will be filled with a thousand moments of arrival, and and the, and they're all amazing. 